Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports. The Final Frontier. These are the voices of the sitter and the saint. I kick you, and then if you feel well enough, you can kick me in the groin. So if you throw up... Yeah, you're done. Their weekly mission, to provide hot takes, medium takes, sometimes annoying takes, mild takes, to boldly go where no show has gone before. Luke Anderson. Oh, Heater Locklear, though. Have you seen her? <laughs> That's Heather Locklear that smokes. See, right? She's a little trashier, so she's, like, more gettable. Will Darkens. I started to get that feeling again, the college football feeling. It's that time where you uh, realize that on Saturdays and Sundays you can ignore your family. This is the Sinner and the Saint Tailgate Show, presented by Frostbrood Coors Light. The world's most refreshing beer on 1080 The Fan. What an open. I'm still hooked on this uh, story about the artificial moon that they're putting up in China. Apparently, it will reflect the sunlight from the other side of the Earth. Just uh, bend the light. Shoot it down. They'll put up three more if it works. They're testing it in the desert where nobody lives so they don't upset people and animals. Very bizarre. Well, you need to test it, though, on parts that people do live because Well, that's why they're putting up one to start. It'll be about one-fifth as bright as current streetlights, so then they'll put up three more if it works. Then they'll be everywhere. It's insane. Russia tried doing this where, uh, for parts of, of their Arctic country that doesn't get enough sunlight. It's this. Now we're t- it's In Soviet Russia, supermoon lights up you. Okay. Good to know. Uh, welcome to Hour 2 of our stupid radio show. Uh, we will uh, get into more college football. We talked a lot of ducks. And uh, and Washington State and Gardner Minshew's mustache in hour one. If you missed any of that, you can go to 1080thefan.com. And Glorious download the, stash. Download the Les Schwab Tires uh, podcast. Um, right now, Michigan, Michigan State is on a weather delay. I'm expected to resume, uh, but they're, they're right now just delayed. They switched over to the Wisconsin-Illinois game, which is playing in the snow, which is fun. Which, but by the, the way, snow's starting to melt off. Which, by the way, you should uh, take a look on Twitter if uh, anybody's on there. Uh, we'll retweet this at Center in St. 1080, but they do a, a timeline, like a, um, uh, pictures stacked against each other of uh, the like very start of the first quarter, and then like seven minutes later, uh, the very start of the first this quarter. This is Wisconsin-Illinois. Yeah, Wisconsin-Illinois, yeah. the very start of the first quarter. It looks very normal, just like a you know fall day. And then like six minutes later, it's just snowing. Yeah. Like it just changed like like that. Well, and then the entire ground was white, now it's starting to melt off, and the field is returning to green. Easy. Yeah. It's what well, weather. It's those Chinese satellites. Weather. <laughs> weather. How strange. Um, but the reason I bring up the Michigan-Michigan State game is this is number six against number 24. Uh, this is one of the big top 25 games. Uh, that has not only you know big implications for the Big Ten, but will have some playoff implications as well because Michigan 
you know, they lost week one to Notre Dame. Other than that, they're, they've been perfect on the year. They're a team that is, you know, aspirational with Jim Harbaugh that they can maybe beat Ohio State. But he hasn't been very good against Michigan State either. Michigan State's coming off a big upset over Penn State. So this is an important game. Well, it's an important game also because you have to take a look at what an at-large bid might look like for somebody like Michigan, right? And this kind of relates back to the Ducks, the Huskies, or the Washington State Cougars in terms of who's going to get into that playoff. Maybe not so much the Huskies because, of course, two losses. Yeah, two losses. Not going to get in. But this, And Auburn keeps losing. Doesn't yeah, that doesn't help yet. But uh, th- this directly relates back to the Pac-12. And mm-hmm. if you have a Michigan team that can win today and can continue to win and, say, even upset a team like Ohio State, which... I'm not going to say it's extremely likely because Ohio State looks like a juggernaut, but if they can keep winning, then you're going to have two one-loss teams on the opposite coasts, right? Or one in the Midwest and one on the West Coast that will have some pretty good evidence to show, hey, man, I should be there in the uh, college football playoff. And so that kind of puts you in a tough spot if you say at the end of the season and you're the college football playoff committee, well, who do I take? The Blue Blood, who most of the country will probably watch against whatever top four team, Oregon. Which, again, this goes back to our conversations, right? Are they back in the Chip Kelly era enough to garner national interest for a playoff bid? I don't know. Well, and if you look at it, I mean, like I said, the the thing that Oregon has going for them, you know, they've played two, you know, game, they've been the host of uh, game day, and now they're playing in a second game that's a game day location in Pullman. So once in Eugene, once in Pullman, and then you look at the – the attention that Justin Herbert's getting from NFL scouts. So it does make Oregon appealing and, and all the groundwork that they've laid. So whether or not they're back or not, uh, we can continue to debate, but Michigan uh, plays Michigan state today next week, uh, Penn state. And then the final week of the season on the 24th of November, they have Ohio state. So there's a long way to go, Yeah, but they need to keep, you know, taking on these challenges and, and Michigan state, the, the, I still think there's a big element to this that has to do with Jim Harbaugh and how he's performed against the school's two biggest rivals. I think this is an important game for him. I, he's an alum, so maybe he doesn't get on the hot seat, but he needs to start producing against the, the school's biggest rivals, and that's Michigan State and Ohio State. And he's got, what, one win in six games against those two schools? And you know what's really interesting, and at least just kind of trying to go back to Michigan here, so this is kind of Jim Harbaugh's prove-it year, right? Yep, it really is because if Harbaugh doesn't at least you know get out of this thing with just two losses, he could easily be in the hot seat. And there's a lot of donors in Michigan and Ann Arbor that will want to kick him out and look at somebody else. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know we have uh, an account executive here, Carla Forsythe, who uh, whose son Alex yep. got recruited by Michigan, and I and he plays for now, Oregon. Yeah. Now he plays for Oregon. He's an offensive line. I think he's either second string or um, he might be making his way into the starting lineup. He plays. He's does he? Yeah. Oh well. Um, <laughs> Good job. Way to do your research. Hey, thank you. I mean, you had you didn't even have to leave the building to. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I was actually talking to her about the conversations that she had with uh, Jim Harbaugh when they went on recruiting visits, right? Uh, because you know he was a big enough recruit that he would get into rooms with head coaches and they would talk to the family and be personal enough. And uh, she said that she didn't really, you know, didn't care for him too much. She said he seemed really distracted a lot of the time Uh, that, you know, the conversation was about Alex and about his future there, but uh, he didn't seem too invested in what was going on. Now that could be any number of reasons, right? That could be, maybe he didn't consider him a big enough for a crew on his board or anything, but I think that's really indicative 
of what's going on with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan is that his interests are in so many different directions, doing these recruiting videos with rap stars, uh, doing these kind of weird stunts to try to get <laughs> attention back to the University of Michigan. It, it, it's very indicative of him. And she said it was a really huge sell meeting Cristobal for Alex because she said that he really related to him really well. And ultimately, that's what caused him to pitch Oregon. So well, I mean, and you have a former O lineman versus a you know former quarterback too. Yeah, and somebody a crazy a lot, man, a lunatic. Yes, who wears khackies. Told him not to don't fit, not to eat chicken and drink more milk. Um, yeah, it's a crazy so, bird. Uh, well, it's a, <laughs> it's a what did he say? It, it's a nervous bird. Nervous bird. It's yeah. a nervous bird. Which, by uh, the way, I would have thought that um, I would have thought that uh, uh, Lynch would say that. Oh, yeah, Mike Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, Mike Leach. Leach, sorry. Mike Lynch is Mike our Leach. guy. Oh, sorry. Well, you're on fire. Um, <laughs> another game with big uh, playoff implications. Clemson hasn't looked as unstoppable as they did when they had Deshaun Watson, obviously. Uh, you win a Heisman Trophy and you play that well. Did he win a Heisman Trophy? No. He didn't. Dang. Now I screwed up. See? Ah, it's contagious. Everybody's uh, As good a college quarterback not to win a Heisman Trophy ever. How about that? No, mm. um, played for back-to-back national titles, um, but you've got NC State, who's an undefeated team. Uh, do you see Clemson slipping up at all this year? Or do you think they stay perfect? I know a lot of people are picking them as a team that beat can beat Alabama. I don't know if, that I see it necessarily. No, not at all. Um, Alabama at this point is just kind of cruising. I mean, your your main goal if you're Alabama right now is just to keep Tua healthy. Uh, your defense is still good. It's not as good as years past, but in comparison to Alabama, that's still really good. Um, compared to the rest of the country. But, you know, Clemson, I, I kind of hope that they do lose against NC State this weekend because if you watch them on the field, and this dates back to the Syracuse game, they don't look up to snuff. They just don't look talent-wise as up to par as some of the other top teams like Ohio State, like even Notre Dame. Um, so you kind of hope that they lose this week and you have a little bit more of an entertaining, um, you know, playoff. I, last year, it was just abysmal watching those two two teams play each other Clemson and Alabama mm-hmm. <laughs> I just it, it, right from the very beginning you knew it wasn't going to be a very good game no well no and and, and again Deshaun Watson kept them in those two national the, title the games two, and yeah. won one uh so that's I mean that's the big difference maker when Clemson's a very good team but you need to have that extra playmaker and they they went away from you know their senior quarterback to go with a freshman and in his first game he got knocked out literally and knocked out of the game and and now you have you know a team that i think is going to see a little bit more challenges i hope alabama gets challenged before it i'd like to see ohio state get a they got i guess they had a pretty good test against penn state but i'd like to see these teams get challenged and see how they do it because really i think as a college football fan everybody's rooting for a playoff where you can finally get three really competitive games and i don't know that we've seen that yet um, so however the committee does it, you just hope these teams can compete against one another. I don't know, man. Last year's Rose Bowl almost made up for everything. That was like one of my favorite <laughs> college football games to watch. It was so exciting. Yeah. Every part of it, you know, uh, Mayfield's reverse pass, the overtime. It, it was, Baker Mayfield's absolutely electric. And, and thrilling. And, yeah. Well, and he's, he's, he, yeah, he's an absolute blast to watch. Um, Hey, let's come back and talk a little bit of NFL, uh, as we get more into the season, we start to understand a little bit more of these teams. Uh, we'll dive back into some uh, some Blazers talk and uh, a little college football at the end, make some picks. You listen to The Sinner and the Saint on Portland Sports Leader, 1080 The Fan. But now I know the of the song. It's pretty good. 
So the reason I'm playing this, and uh, I'm not going to play the song for you because it's two minutes long, but you need to go on to uh, the interwebs and find the parody of I Believe I Can Fly about Eli Manning. (laughs) I believe in Eli. Oh. It is a montage of him throwing interception after interception, (laughs) pick six after pick six. To a couple guys singing, I believe in Eli. Uh, We'll find it and we'll uh, throw it out on our Twitter at SinnerSaint1080 and 1080 the fan, uh, at 1080 the fan. So we'll put those out so you guys can go and see that. But uh, definitely worth looking. But I did want to bring up Eli. And that's what we can talk about uh, very quickly about Odell Beckham Jr. Did you see his comments about why he cramps up so much? Uh, Yeah, he hates water. He doesn't prefer water. I don't really like water. I'm working on it. Well, he said, I, I don't I don't like water. That's why I prefer IV. Yeah. He prefers to get an IV over drinking water. How much do you have to hate water to prefer somebody jabbing you in the arm with a needle? How, ma- how many baseball games did your parents have to miss when you were a kid that you were this starving for attention as an adult? <laughs> really? At first, I thought this was just his personality. I, I was like, you know, I, I thought he was just kind of eccentric. And I said, okay, this is fun. It's good to have this personality. He's bordering on insufferable at this point. I, I genuinely believe that. He's kind of insufferable. Well, and it doesn't help that he has the New York media, so he always has a microphone in his face, so he can do two things. He'll always say something dumb, and because he's always talking to the media, he's so comfortable that he doesn't feel bad saying something dumb. No, he doesn't. And they suck. They are so bad. I mean, it's not just Eli Manning that's the problem. Eli Manning certainly is the problem. He doesn't. But he doesn't, doesn't have an offensive line to protect him, which when you have a bad quarterback, well, yeah, that'd be helpful. obviously. But man, that guy can't throw past 15 yards. Like, it's a real problem. And Saquon Barkley, I, I mean, geez, if I was the Giants right now, I'd fake an injury and get that guy on IR. <laughs> like, don't, don't just waste. protect him. Oh, my gosh. Don't, don't waste this. Uh, awesome talent on a really bad year when you know you're going to be the worst team in the league and you know you're going to jet right up to the top of the draft board and pick somebody like Justin Herbert or hopefully Minshew. Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew. Go, going number one overall. Uh, I don't Somehow I don't see that, but you know what? I could be wrong. Um, the other uh, story from the NFL that I thought was interesting, um, we always look at, you know, coaches and whether they're underrated overrated we've done it with mike mccarthy and andy reed it's like how good are these guys there's sometimes there's the idea that the nfl gets the best coaches in the world just gets disproved and some guys no matter how incompetent they appear to be just seem to keep getting jobs and mike mccoy just got fired as the offensive coordinator for the arizona cardinals i heard a stat that he's been through three occupations in 22 months yes that's exactly the stat that I was trying to get to. He's been fired from three jobs in 22 months, which to me is absolutely fantastic. But but here's the problem with turning around a football team, and this, this relates to the Giants and the Cardinals, but you're trying to go out and change the fortunes of your franchise, and you lose Bruce Arians, and you have to go and get a, you know start over with, with your coaching staff, so you're going to make some different hires. But you've also committed to Sam Bradford because – well, he's the guy that's going to come in and be the stopgap until you have to go to Josh Rosen. Oh, well, if you don't have good coaching, Sam Bradford, who's been good at times and been unhealthy, well, he's <laughs> how, never been how great. How kind of you. <laughs> well, listen, that's the best I can do. I, I can't say he's been horrible. Yeah. He's certainly been unhealthy. Uh, 
But you give him a bad coaching staff, he's going to look absolutely terrible. So then, of course, he gets replaced by rookie, the most NFL-ready rookie that was in the draft class, and Josh Rosen, who looks terrible. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yes, he looks terrible, yeah. but dude, that guy has no help. That this is what I'm yeah. saying. It's not, but it's not just O line, and it's not just yeah. the guy. I, I the don't weapons want to put this on. You. I don't want to put this on him like we. Um, like we kind of did on Jared Goff, his rookie year. Well, but there, I that, mean, we that's really, exactly what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, we really put it on Jared. I, I remember at the fan, we really put it on Jared Goff the first year and really wrote him off as a bust. I, I personally did, and I really thought he was going to be a huge bust. And that's tough for you as a Rams fan to swallow. Oh well, as a uh, as a one year and two month Rams fan, yeah, it was it was a hard opinion for me to take. You know, um, but you know. It, it really does show and, you know, just proving your point right now is that, you know, when you have a young quarterback, if you get the right kind of coach and the right kind of scheme around him, things can really work out well. And I think Josh Rosen has the talent. He obviously does. There were flashes in the preseason and even in the regular season where you can see that he has great vision. The arm strength's there. The precision is there. It's just, you know, when the guy has to throw after a second and a half, like every play, like he can't let any play develop, I, you know, your hands are tied. Yep. Nobody's going to be that great. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, Tom Brady even just sits in the pocket all day now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and having that savvy and that ability to go, you know, Hey, sometimes you don't have time, but knowing when it is, but then you get skittish where you go, Oh, I never have time. And then when you do, you're still trying to get the ball out in the second and a half. It doesn't help you, but here's uh Mike McCoy's quick resume. So we got fired. Uh, from Arizona uh, just the other day. Uh, last year, he was fired after a three and seven start in Denver, replaced by quarterback coach Bill, Bill Musgraves. And then the year before, he was fired by San Diego. So it's not like he's playing for these teams that are juggernauts either. He just, but he just keeps getting jobs. Took uh, B- Byron Leftwich took his job. He did, yeah. <laughs> Second year quarterback coach Byron Leftwich is getting the job. That's when you know things are bad. When Byron Leftwich is taking your job. Mike McCoy, I think, is part of a group of coaches that, um, you know, Jeff Fisher was definitely part of. And there's a a lot of others that I I think you could probably go through. Is that they're reliable people. I I genuinely believe that coaching in the NFL, maybe not so much college because it is far more performance-based if you're a head coach. But as an assistant coach, if you're a reliable person and you're somebody that, from the looks of it, communicates really well and gets along with most people... I think you'll keep getting hired over and over and over again because you're generally pleasant to be around in the office. But it's Greg the Williams, thing. Greg Williams keeps getting hired as defensive coordinator, and he's terrible. It's, he's, but apparently people like him. I, but a lot of people hate him too. Uh, sure, but people he works with have to like that guy. How else is he getting jobs? There's no other way. Urban Meyer almost lost his job trying to protect Zach Smith, who by all accounts was a terrible person. Loyal employee, apparently. <laughs> apparently likable. Uh, uh, yeah, but, you know, I, I think that, and it really goes with backup quarterbacks as well. You know, one huge story that came out this past week is uh, Derek Anderson, right? Yeah. Derek Anderson at the age, I think it's 38, right? Or is Ooh, it 36? I'll have to check on Derek Anderson's um, age. He's going to be starting for the Buffalo Bills because of the fact that um, that Josh Allen has an elbow injury. And they can't roll Nathan Peterman out there because... Because he's the worst player ever in the history of the NFL. Yes. Yeah. He's terrible. But conversely, Nathan Peterman will get another job. It's insane. I, I, Dude, I will throw cash on the table right now. I swear to you. Nathan Peterman will get another job in the NFL. I'm not even talking Canadian. He just will because he seems like a nice enough person and seems like he can grasp a scheme. If they'll go, yeah, 
we'll have him around the office. Whatever. Keep him around like Charlie Whitehurst forever. Sure. For Jesus. Uh, Derek Anderson, 35 years old, but in fairness, he does look 38. Yes, and he was good. What was the last time he was good? 07 with the Browns when he made a Pro Bowl? No, well, he had uh, he, he played a few games with uh, Carolina. in. Uh, yeah, but, you know, he, yeah. his roles have, after probably I'd say 08 or 09, have mostly been in the kind of tutelage, right? Yeah. It's the same thing as what McCown's doing with Darnold in New York is that, you know, you want to get the experienced guy behind somebody like Nathan Peterman or like Josh Allen and kind of help them get through the ropes and everything. You know, one of the greatest things I actually saw in the NFL season this year was in week one with the Lions and the Jets. And it was right after Darnold threw a pick six on his first NFL throw. And everybody got excited. They're like, okay, he bounced back. Well, no, I I was laughing. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But then they showed a uh, mic'd up version of McCown uh, on the sidelines with Darnold and with uh, their offensive coordinator. And McCown runs up and he goes, don't change anything. He goes, don't change anything. Let him play through it. Yeah. He said, let him play through it. Don't, don't bail him out of this. Keep, keep the game plan going. You're doing great. Don't worry. And it was like, Yes, dude, that's what you need. You need somebody to come up to you and go, yeah, that was awful, but you got to forget about it quick because we have a football game to win and we have a plan and we have to execute. Well, and it's having somebody that's been there and the success of the Eagles was attributed a lot last year to having Doug Peterson, who was a backup quarterback for his career, and Frank Reich, who was a backup quarterback for his career in your offensive coordinator and your head coaching role. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. And, and you know, I know that you don't want to touch a ton of baseball, but you look how creative – Craig Council's been for the with the pitching staff of the Brewers and led to a lot of success. You get guys that have played and been there, and they might not be the best player that you have on your team, but you know, I guess if you're a likable enough guy, you keep around. And and how about that for uh, the the best example of that might be Jason Garrett. Has he ever done anything to justify his position in life? But he stays on. He was a backup quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Came back as a head coach and just keeps the job because. Dang it, that guy's all right. Hey, he's great in the <laughs> office. Everybody loves Jason. He brings donuts Friday. All right, I know you want to break down game one of the Zers, extrapolate it out to the entire season and let people know what they're going to get from their Portland Trailblazers 2018-2019 edition, so we'll do that next. But first, let's go to the college football scoreboard and take a look at the news. We'll get back into the biggest game of the weekend. The Ducks traveling to Pullman to take on your Washington State Cougars. As a Beaver fan, you were saying you're a little upset that you're not going to be able to be there. That's quite the environment out there. Let me tell you something, man. At the Palouse, the Palouse is a trap game for most teams, or at least it was back when I was playing, because you go up there and, you know, like I said earlier in the show, it's uh, – it's desolate, man. There's nothing else but that town, and then anything in a hundred mile radius is uh, desolate mountains, yeah, but trees. Today, the hundred mile radius is uh, the the crowd that came in. I mean, there's probably four times as many people in Pullman that the that Martin Stadium will allow. So, uh, should be an interesting one. But I did want to get at least your quick thoughts, and then I know that you know one game does not make you know a, a whole lot of room to to evaluate but anything that you picked up from game one for the Blazers that you found interesting or that's that's going to give you any hope that this team is anything better than an okay team in the the Western Conference uh yeah Nick Stauskas (laughs) I was uh, listening to PTI the PTI podcast um it was Thursday 
listening to it, and Mike Wilbon was convinced that this team can compete in the West. He said that this is actually a squad, and I thought, okay, you're just kind of blustering up an opinion because you guys are going to talk about LeBron, you know, for the next 365 days until we get to this moment again. But I would tend to agree that there are some signs, there are some signals here that this is a team that's far more filled out than in the past. Love the move of Evan Turner coming off the bench. At first, when I saw that Jake Lehman was playing, I kind of freaked out a little bit. <laughs> well, but that was, that was also in place of Mo Harkless, too. Sure, though. it was. Yeah. Uh, I saw Mo got a couple of minutes, too, but I, I love the rotation, man. Stauskas looks great. We'll have to see as the season goes on if he can uh, you know, continue that type of shooting when teams actually game plan around him. But, uh, I, I mean, dude, they look good. They look like a very solid, good team. One of the things that was so difficult for the Blazers the past couple of years is the fact that once Dame is out, you have somebody like CJ that's, pretty much controlling the offense and taking the ball up. And it's not like he really runs an offense. It's just an ISO thing. Mm -hmm. Now that you got players like Stauskas and you got guys like Evan Turner coming off the bench that are going to be able to play with CJ in those minutes, you're going to stay relevant offensively in a game. Well, it's funny because I've been trying to convince you of this for, you know, since Evan Turner came into the, into the Blazers organization is that they haven't necessarily been using him, I think, in the most efficient manner. They have him out there with, with Damon CJ and what Evan Turner does well is he's a good ball handler. He's a good passer, but he scores in the post in the mid range, which is almost extinct in the NBA. And it's hard to find your position when you're playing with two guys that ISO as much as Dame and CJ do. Yeah. And so they moved him into that backup point guard role essentially is what he's doing point forward. Yeah. Well, but I mean, he's, he's handling the ball up, but you've also got, you know, Seth Curry in there who looked competent. He looked I mean, okay. Yeah. He looked, I think he got, um, you know, he got the raw deal on a couple. I remember there's a corner three that he stepped out of bounds in yeah. the first quarter. And well, but y y you're right. There was something there. There just seems to be something there that, you know, we can't really put our finger on it. Definitely. But we know that this team is going to be better all the way around uh, from last year. Well, here's here's what I think that you got to was uh, at the a, after last year, I think you got a pretty large dose of humble pie for a couple guys. Nurk primarily. Yeah. But I think CJ as well. And I think CJ thought that he was he's Dame 2.0 and when Dame leaves he does the same thing that he does and and then moving him into, "Hey, listen, you're the sidekick. We need you to do that role as good as you can. Forget about everything else. You don't need to be Damian Lillard to be successful. We need you to be the number 2 because you need a guy that you can rely on as a scorer night in and night out. And sometimes Dame, when when Dame would would have an off night, I think CJ pressed too hard think he had to do everything by himself yeah I said this earlier but you're not gonna get 55 points every night from your bench and you're not gonna have to because Dame and CJ are gonna have their nights but the Lakers starters beat the Blazers starters they won because of their bench in game one well they, the Lakers LeBron James beat the I know Blazers but, but, but if you go if you go score for score sure but but again, having that, I mean, how many games did the bench win last year for the Blazers where you went, you know, you go, all right, because they didn't have a second unit. What they did was they just kept CJ on the floor, and then they played with that rotation. So I think what Terry Stotts is doing is smart. I, it might have been nice to have him do it later, but I think having Nurk going, hey, I'm not going to walk right into this superstar role because of Nurk fever the year before. He's going to go out to go and earn everything that he gets and prove that he belongs to be you know, the number three guy and their big three or whatever you want to call it. I think that I think those things are important. And from one game I know that we're trying to to draw a lot, but I I, I don't I don't see any reason for Blazers fan not to be optimistic from what you saw in game one. 
except for the Blazers. uh, Except for the Blazers, were playing a terrible Lakers team. Sure, (laughs) one game they always win their home opener. Yeah, seventeen in a row, eighteen in a row. That's eighteen in a row. Hey, do you think the Pac-12 is completely irrelevant? No, not at all. Game day's been there twice in four weeks. I just said that, and they could have been there last week against uh, the Washington Oregon game. Let me tell you something, though. Rest of the country thinks so. And who cares? Everybody's saying it. Yeah, who cares? Everybody's saying it. Who's saying it? Everybody's saying it. Did you go on Twitter? Everybody's handle? Uh, no, I don't. You know, I, you I don't follow everybody. I don't follow anybody. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. care. Right now, you have game day in Pullman, sure. and they're so excited to be there that they did a piece on Popcorn Guy trying to track him down. Oh, dude, <laughs> sucks they didn't. Well, they, I think they found it, but he didn't want any part of it. I don't think that's his proudest moment. Do you think that was rock bottom that made him start going to AA meetings? <laughs> yeah. It, it, listen, that was a bad moment for me, and I've turned my life around. I found God, and uh, yeah. Yes, uh, that is not me anymore. That's Getting not me. drunk at blowouts and <laughs> down in popcorn. popcorn yeah. Well, I don't think it helped that they the entire cast of uh, College Game Day dumped popcorn all over the set making fun of him. I know yeah. that they were kind of doing it in jest, but, but no, I mean, I think, I think the PAC 12 is, is down. Uh, the PAC 12 last year, not only did they go one and eight in the, in the college bowl season, they also had what one team make the actual tournament. Cause two of the teams played in play in games and lost. And then they lost their opening week. I mean, they had a terrible showing in the two biggest college sports from from eyeballs perspective which is college football and college basketball they were absolutely terrible they're having a huge controversy right now with their officials larry scott doesn't look like he wants to keep that job very long the way he handles himself in press conferences the right now that they're down but they're still relevant because you you have you have schools that have a great history you've got usc you've got university of washington kind of irrelevant though kind of irrelevant there's a there, there seems to be a lot of irrelevancy that's going on with the pac-12 i think that the trip to the palouse was something that was long overdue and I, a lot of people root for washington state whether it's mike leach being mr pirate and everybody's kind of intrigued by that or gardner Minshew. i mean it's not just the mustache you watch that guy play and it's pretty freaking cool good. man he's good football yeah, player he throws people open he know he has a high command of the offense and even he, watching he, he can them, play in the pocket, he can move, throw yeah. on the run. Yeah, it's a very good. good. Yeah, I, I just think it's going to take something really big to happen before we can really start taking the Pac-12 serious again. You know, after SC kind of lost their relevance in the mid to later 2000s, it didn't really, the Pac-12 didn't really take off until Oregon made it back to the national title to play Auburn. I'll, I'll give you that, but I think the other thing that we do is is all the talk of the Pac-12 being irrelevant. I think sometimes we sit back and we overvalue those other schools and go, you know, I mean, everybody's in this mode where Alabama's unbeatable. Sure. Unbeatable. They haven't played LSU yet. They haven't played They haven't played Auburn yet. They'll, they'll probably end up playing Georgia even though they lost or Florida in the, in the SEC championship game. They do step up. There's been. There's I don't know, dude. Up. They look really good. I, I, under, I, under, <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. But if that's the case, there's still three other spots. We already talked about it. Clemson doesn't look unbeatable this year. Ohio State looks really, really good. But USC could very easily go and knock off Notre Dame. That opens it up. So now you've got four spots for, for Power Five conferences. The Texas is back, I guess. But they don't have an automatic write-in vote to, to go to the college football playoff. The Big 12 is is not a you know dominant conference that 
I don't know, man. Pat, uh, Big 12, though, I mean, you could have somebody like Texas or even but they're Oklahoma all, sneak They're in. all one-loss teams, yeah. and they're going to have to do a rematch for their, their college football. I, I guess what I don't want to see, and I know you don't want to see, is the idea that you're going to get another Clemson-Alabama matchup. Yeah. Because I, Clemson, I mean, honestly, Clemson doesn't look very good, and, and they're going to have a very easy schedule. The only thing we can hope for is, one, they lose against NC State today, or two, they get into the ACC title game where, you know, they play somebody competent, Miami. Yeah, but but what, what would you rather watch? Would you rather watch Alabama-Ohio State for a national championship, or would you rather watch Washington against Clemson? For a national title? Yeah. Oh. Well, I would have to take the latter. Would you? Really? I? I don't know. That, this is what I'm saying. Watch Washington. Well, not Washington. I mean, give me Washington State. No, or, I know. I but that's why I picked Washington. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I I don't know. <laughs> you want to see what's more entertaining? I guess. Yeah, but that. But I guess that's kind of my point. So irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, if if Oregon or Washington State, or if Washington was just a juggernaut that rolled through, if they went and just housed Auburn at the beginning of the year and we're running through the Pac-12, you'd be like, I can't wait for them to take on this big monster. But what happens in college football is when you have parity in one one area, so whether it's the SEC West or the Pac-12 North or whatever it is, those teams kind of beat each other up, and that's where the system becomes so flawed where you only have four spots. And part of me roots for a Pac-12 te- team to get in. Part of me roots for chaos where they end up putting in Notre Dame and two SEC schools and then they piss off enough people that they have to look at actually expanding the playoffs. So I kind of go back and forth. Yeah, it'd be great to see the Pac-12, but it'd also like to see a big mess where they just put in four schools from the SEC and everybody gets so mad and throws their arms up that they have to do something about the way the format is now. Sneaky good game to pick, which we'll do next. Colorado-Washington. Just do finish the tease, finish the thing. Now close it out and we'll go to break. Coming up next, right here on Portland Sports Leader, 1080 The Fan. Good job. What do you think of when you see Gardner Minshew's mustache? Really? Let's see him with a big 70s collar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Throws you back to an earlier time. He looks like an extra from Boogie Nights. Yeah, I can see that. Should have been a star. He might be, man. I'm serious. That guy could uh, be sneaky draft pick. Round uh, two? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if he's a second uh, round. But, uh, hey, listen. If he's, if tell he's, you, uh, the height of quarterbacks doesn't mean as much as it did a couple years back. No, no, I, get, I get that. But, um, you know, I mean, you, you, you would think you'd start hearing the buzz now. But it, even if you go as a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick, it doesn't mean you won't end up being a player in the NFL. I mean, Tony Romo was, what, sixth, seventh round pick? Tom Brady, obviously, we know that story. I mean, guys... Guys show up, and if you can play, you'll get the job. And if you go out there and you don't throw five interceptions in the first half of the first game that you play, you'll get another shot. Oh, wait. Even if you do that, you'll get another shot. I <laughs> but mean, you got to be a nice guy. Yeah, well, you, well, you, need, to be, you need to be a guy, uh, you know, a good locker room guy and a good in the, in the film room and do all the, all the right things. But, again, like I said earlier, when Gardner Minshew came in, one of the most impressive things a lot of people in Washington State uh, have said is, is his leadership. Coming in and playing with guys that have been there three, four years and just going, all right, guys, follow me. Let's go play some football. With that in mind, let's pick some football games. Uh, you already let's go. Let's go play. Well, let's look at the Pac-12. <laughs> the Pac-12. Uh, what, what do you think of the twelve thirty start time? There's some debate around the office this week. People saying that's the best time to start a college football game. Twelve thirty. 
For what? For a football game. Is that the best time to start uh, a game? Sure. I you don't I don't care. know. I like early games. I I, yeah. I I do enjoy early games because you can kind of do other stuff and listen to it on the radio. Oh, I meant as a player. You played college football. Oh, as a player. Oh, oh, well, that's yeah. a whole thing. <laughs> because if it's a home game and it's 1230, that's friggin' awesome because if you do win, that means there is far more time to party. All right. So will Washington be partying? They are number 15 in the country. They're hosting Colorado. Uh, Washington's a 17-point favorite in Seattle. Uh, You have to think... Yeah, they'll win. <laughs> Sounds I, confident. Well, I only say that because I think they have more talent than Colorado. Now, the factor that everybody's going to be talking about with this is the letdown game, right? Is the fact that you just experienced uh, probably one of the most heartbreaking losses you've had in a couple seasons. I mean, really, the college football playoff, uh, that really wasn't a heartbreaking loss. It was just after about the first half, you go, yeah, Washington's going to lose. Dude, these guys are good. Yeah. You see this Alabama team? Where'd they come from? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for Washington, you know, you got to stay focused and you got to realize that, you know, your season isn't completely ruined, right? You know, um, you have the opportunity to play for an at-large bowl during New Year's Day. You're not going to make it to the playoff. I don't even think you were going to make it to the playoff anyway, even if you had beaten Oregon and just lost to Auburn. So, you know, you got to go out there. You got to be tough and you got to let... Uh, you got to let Jake Browning try to make some plays. You know, the Colorado defensive line is pretty stout, so Miles Gaskin is going to probably not get too many. Is he playing? I don't know. He's got actually. the shoulder, and then yeah. the number two back is out. See, that's here's the difficult thing for me is that, you know, you you talk about the, the, the fall apart. Washington can't afford a letdown game. They're still in the running for the Pac-12 North. They can still play for a Pac-12 title. Yeah, maybe the college football playoff is out of... A couple things would have to happen. But things have to happen anyways. That's the way college football goes, and I think that they have a guy that will get the team refocused, and that's Chris Peterson. So that's that's the edge that I give them is they have more talent, they have better coaching, So and and they're playing at home. So all those three things uh, add up to me to a Washington win uh, today. Um, Cal at Oregon State down in Corvallis, 1 o'clock kick on the Pac-12 network. Is this the Pac-12 win that you kind of <laughs> circle if you're a Beeb? And you are. Uh, oh, we have a Pac-12 win we circled? I don't know. I wasn't aware of that. D- I, did you? Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, Cal is favored by seven, by the way. Yeah. And I'll take Cal, obviously, obviously, Um, yeah, obviously, you know, Oregon state, uh, the Washington state game was encouraging. Uh, the first half was extremely encouraging and it's encouraging because you're starting to see these players take to Jonathan Smith's coaching style. Uh, you know, when you get any type of new coach in there, you're going to have about three quarters of the team that are still with the old guy. In a certain sense, I think he was lucky because Gary Anderson left on such a sour note that maybe he only had a little under half that were still kind of following Gary's culture and Gary's way of doing things. But now you can see the players are really bought in. The issue is the talent's not there. If you're a Beaver fan, you just got to ride this season out and look for the positives when you can and understand that Jonathan Smith has done an incredible job drafting junior college transfers that next year, hopefully you can get somewhere around four to five wins. But again, I, I will say this every every show until this season is over. 
Okay. Five years. Okay, that's fine. Five years. That's fine. You're wrong. Uh, this game does matter, and you need to get a win because you need to prove that it's working, I think, to not only the kids that are playing, but I think you need to prove it to recruits because you start winning games and people are going to at least turn their heads a little bit. Uh, Cal is not uh, that one. Doesn't, that doesn't happen until year two th- or three. That's fine. They, they, they did not win a game against an FBS school last year. They have not won one against one this year. Their only win is FCS for the last two years. I think they need Pretty this. Pretty good. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a really bad Portland State last team last year. But I, I think they need this win, and I think, if anything, this game means more to Oregon State than it does to Cal. Cal doesn't have a quarterback. I don't think that they have the talent necessarily either. You're in year two of the Josh Wilk- Wilcox transformation where you went from a the Bear Raid to a team that's going to be led by their defense. So I think they're in a flex position. I think both of these coaches have a long rope where they're not going to get rid of either of them quickly. So I think Oregon State comes out, and I think their offense is going to be get at the strength of the this Cal team, which is their defense. And I don't think the Cal offense is, is elite by any stretch of imagination without a quarterback I think that gives a little cushion for a defense that needs to improve for Oregon State I think this comes down to the wire and I'm going to take the beeves because cool. screw Cal well good thing you're not putting money on it no I'm not doing that uh, I'm not an idiot I am not but that I think, confident but I, well but I think this is a game that you have to win and I think it means a lot so then you have if, you, if you're Cal you're looking at going man we can't lose to these guys and if you play tight and you've got another team that's playing for everything there you go there's your win um uh, let's just dive right into it. This is the biggest game of the week in the Pac-12, uh, one of the biggest games in the country. That's why game day is there. Number 12, Oregon at number 25, Washington State. Both teams are one-loss teams. Penny Sewell. Yeah. Penny Sewell, that is going to be one of the most important names heading into this game. It's actually been one of the most important names leading up to this game this week because people understand how important he was on the offensive line protecting Justin Herbert. Again, I'm going to reiterate, Washington State's pass rush is a lot better than it's been in the past. You're going to see a team that is so effing hyped up, man. I mean, the Cougs are going to be so hyped up for this game, and so really it's going to be on Oregon to kind of create that tempo from the very beginning, kind of uh, quell any type of excitement that game day has brought to the Cougs. You got to keep the tempo up. You got to get Herbert started early, and hopefully, you can get out with a win. I am going to take Oregon. All right, I'm going to take Oregon to Washington State. As much as I think that they have a shot at winning this game, they may have uh, kind of started the candle a little bit too early. They've been partying all week out there. I'm not saying that the team has, but they have a they have a chance. They have they have been known for underperforming. They have a word for it. It's called cooging it. I think if if anything that the hype around this game may have started a few days too early, and I think if if Oregon can go out and make a couple big plays early on and, and kind of neutralize the crowd a little bit, it's going to go a long way uh, towards a victory. I think Justin Herbert has a big day. I think I think he's probably a little anxious uh, to get out there and show what he can do because they didn't really feature him all that much in that Oregon game. Uh, or I'm sorry, the Washington game. So this is a chance to go and show everybody why he's a Heisman Trophy uh, and a uh, top prospect going to the NFL. All right, that's it. Oregon game day is uh, going to start after the coaches show, and then you'll be right into game time. You don't need to change the dial at all for Oregon, Washington State. This has been the Center and the Saints. We're done. Bye bye. Why is my ball there? 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.